The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Let's look in the Word together and let's talk about Jesus Christ. That is what we do and that's why we're here today. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9. That's where we started last week and that's where we will start this week as we look at a people longing for peace. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so the people wait, as we talked last week, for 700 years. They're waiting for the Prince of Peace. Every great story has a protagonist, someone who is struggling for good, struggling to bring about what's right, and the protagonist in this story is a baby. Can you imagine this announcement's made and the people wait and they wait and they wait. And then one night on a hillside outside Bethlehem, these shepherds see something and they struggle to explain it to their families. It's brighter than anything we ever saw in the sound of these angels singing. It was so beautiful. What did they sing? They sang peace on earth peace. Every year, every year around Christmas, we, we talk about what happened behind that inn in Bethlehem. Why does it matter? What's it about? Why are we talking about it two millennia later? And it's this, it's that God came to earth. The answer of Isaiah, the Prince of Peace, came when those angels declared it. Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Christ child, the King of the Jews, the Prince of Peace. Now hear me, there are other people involved in this story. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, but it's not Mary, it's not Joseph, it's not the shepherds, it's not the wise men, it's not Herod. All of them had a role in the story, but the idea that the center of this sordid story is anything other than King Jesus utterly misses the mark no matter how bad it wants to hit it and he this this prince brought peace to people who would be ruled by an empire their entire lives God descended that's the news he came into this world of brokenness and sin wait wait a minute you you want to tell me God became a baby and he was born in a cave turned stable, that's how God came to earth? Are you saying God was raised blue collar, Chase? Okay, but you keep using this word prince. He, he, never, he never lived in a palace. He never traveled the world. He didn't have a university education, but he made the world. But then, and, and then he was crucified. He, his, his people didn't even stop it, and he, he's a prince, but he didn't, he didn't even have his own grave, which makes perfect sense because he wasn't staying long, right? And all of this, so people could experience his forgiving love, his peace, his kingdom, the 
Prince of Peace was bringing a kingdom of peace. Doesn't that sound crazy? Maybe just crazy enough to believe. Make no mistake, there were people looking for the prince and they missed him the first time. We don't want to miss him the second time. When he comes as the Lion of Judah with wounds in his paws and blood in his mane, blood-stained royalty. He came the first time as a God with tears, a creator with a heartbeat. He became earth's mockery to save his children. That's the scandal. That's what brought peace. As this Prince of Peace came, though, there were pretenders. People got mixed up when they thought about what might bring peace. There were pretenders then, and there are pretenders now. The first pretender was the Roman Empire. Neither Rome nor Herod could give what they offered. Herod was a puppet king who was beholden to Rome. And Rome said, we're bringing peace. We've got the Pax Romana from about 183 BC to, to about 280. Or, uh, the Pax Romana was there, the peace of Rome, but it was a peace that was brought about by an iron fist. It wasn't the sort of peace people would want. Calchagus, who met the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, said this in AD 83. They have pillaged the world. When the land has nothing left for men who ravage everything, they scour the sea. If an enemy is rich, they're greedy. If he is poor, they crave glory. Neither east nor west can sate their appetite. They are the only people on earth to covet wealth and poverty with equal craving. They plunder, they butcher, they ravish, and they call it by the lying name of empire. They make a desert and call it peace. Rome was a pretender, but then for the Jews, the temple had also become a pretender. Isaiah said there would be a prince of peace, but then there was exile, and then there was silence, and then God spoke to Zechariah, about this forerunner, John, who would come, but then the temple had a form of godliness but denied its power. The temple came to be about money instead of Messiah, transaction instead of truth, self-righteousness instead of salvation. Jewish leaders rejected the word that became flesh. Well, there were pretenders then and there are pretenders today, and certainly today we can embrace the pretenders of political power, but we've talked about that quite a bit. What do we do on a personal level? What are some of the pretenders that we embrace? Well, first is we think if people would think just like me, the world would be fine and there would be peace. If only people thought like me. Have you ever experienced that? If everybody just thought like me, I don't mean you like me, right? If everybody thought like me, there would be peace because we'd, we'd then all be right and everything would be good, right? Um, but there's a problem with that thinking because when we think that, we just kind of put ourselves in the place of God. We think that we're always thinking right about everything all the time. I was talking with someone years ago about this very idea and they said, well, the problem is you see the world through a lens and I see it exactly the way it is, Chase. And uh, so our, our, that conversation didn't go well, as you can imagine, right? 
Dave Tate said this, and maybe someone said it before him, but he's the last guy I remember saying it, so I'm going to quote him today. Dave Tate told us earlier this year, peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of Jesus. So we can have peace and we can be peaceful even when people don't think just like us, which might be a good thing to remember since we've just been through Thanksgiving with our families and we're going to have to see all those people again at Christmas, right? See, it's a pretender to think if everyone just thought like me, there would be peace. It's a pretender. That's not the way the world is. It's not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Jesus. That's one of the pretenders. The next pretender is if I could just have control. If I could just have control of this situation, things would be fine and there would be peace. If I could just get it under control. The problem with that idea is that we spend a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of mental work trying to control all kinds of things we can't control. And we sometimes don't spend very much time seeking to get under control the things that we can control. My attitude my mindset, my heart toward others, my ability to be gracious with others. Me controlling uh, whether or not I attend every argument I'm invited to. See, the idea of control bringing peace is a pretender because most people who cling to control typically end up with lives that spiral out of control. Man, that's tough to watch. The idea of having control is a pretender. Another pretender is if circumstances were different. If my circumstances were different, Chase, I would just have peace. But what, what if they're not, right? What if that boss never gets better? What if your kids keep running from the Lord, What if money stays tight for the rest of your life? What if the diagnosis comes back wrong again? Can you still have peace? How do we have peace? Where do we find peace in the midst of these pretenders? Well, the answer is in the prince who provides, and he provides peace on earth. He provides peace on earth. Let's just hear the story again, as amazing as it is. Luke 2 starts like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said, do not be afraid. 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I just wonder on that hillside outside Bethlehem, if one or two of those shepherds might have thought, wait, is this it? Is, is this it? Is this the child that's going to be born? Is this the child Isaiah was talking about? Is this the one who's going to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father? Is this the prince of peace? That angel said, peace on earth. Is this it? And they begin to tell their friends. Can you imagine? But their circumstances don't change. Are you, are you kidding me? There's a squadron of Roman soldiers around every corner and you want me to believe there's peace on earth? There's robbers just down the road. There are wolves coming after our sheep and you want me to believe there's peace on earth? See, their circumstances didn't change. Their circumstances didn't change. They did not get book deals with CNN. They weren't or they did not get book deals, rather. They weren't interviewed on CNN or Fox News. They did not become Instagram influencers, right? They didn't take pictures and post them, these sheep saw Jesus, right? They just kept being shepherds. They kept struggling to make ends meet. Not much time with family. Working hard in a smelly and difficult job. Pasture lands weren't suddenly greener, but there was peace on earth. There was peace because Emmanuel had come. Almighty God, everlasting Father, wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. It wasn't just that there was peace on earth, though. There was peace in their hearts, and there can be peace in our hearts. There can be peace in our hearts. I love that there are four gospels that we get the perspective inspired by the Holy Spirit of these four guys that tell the story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And when you put them together, their book ended with peace. Luke 2 starts with peace and John just before Jesus dies really ends with peace. John 14 begins and ends with let not your hearts be troubled, basically. John 14, 1, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He's going away. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare this place, I will come again to take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And then in verse 25 of John 14, he says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give. I'm not giving you a peace like the Pax Romana. I'm not giving to you a peace with an iron fist. I'm giving it to you as a good shepherd. So let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. See, God with us, Emmanuel, he tells them the Holy Spirit's coming. God with us, Emmanuel, is going to become God in us, the Holy Spirit of God inside his people, the church. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. I give you my peace, not as the world gives, which is a remarkable statement in and of itself. But then think about what he has just told them in John 13. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to away. I, I'm going away and I'm going to die and it's going to be awful. And by the way, you, you are going to be servants in this kingdom. You're not going to be generals. I've been a servant to you and so you serve others. And also your weapons in this war, your weapons are love and peace, not force. Also, my, my friend Judas, he's about, he's about to betray me. Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And then he says, let not your hearts be troubled. I give you my peace. As the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things and remind you of all things. You can have peace. We can have peace on earth. We can have peace in our hearts. You can have peace in tribulation. John 16. So John 15, Jesus tells him, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But then he says, oh, by the way, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Now, one guy in the entire Old Testament had been called a friend of God. And now Jesus looks at his disciples and said, hey, you're not just my servants. You're my friends. You're my friends. But then he tells his friends this. They're going to put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. They'll do these things because they've not known the Father or me, but I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So you'll know what's coming. And then John 16 ends, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So you can have peace on this earth with others. You can have peace in your heart. But what about when you're just going through the awfulest of times? Is there peace there? There is. There is. And I'll tell you, I don't understand how it comes or when it comes or why it does. When it does, when we're in times of tribulation, but it comes. I I remember, I remember the First time as an adult, I went through a season where I just didn't have any peace at all. And it was really strange for me. I had never really experienced anxiety. And I want to tell you, that's not because I was really doing a great job at following Jesus. It's because of two reasons. One, I'm not good at details and I don't worry about them very much. And two, I'm just really prideful. I have to repent of it all the time. So I just don't worry about things. But seven years ago, almost eight years now, I had an aunt and uncle that raised me and this aunt became sick very quickly and she died and there was a lot of turmoil after she died and I just couldn't sleep just for months. 
And I, I don't mean like I would sleep from 12 to 5 and that was bad. I mean, I would go to sleep and like I always do, I'd fall asleep, but I would be up 30 minutes later. And sometimes I'd stay up all night till about 4 and I'd fall asleep till 5 and get up and do it over and over again. Now, you can imagine, I was still my pleasant self to everyone around. My family really loved that time. They thought, how are you doing this? It was just an awful time of anxiety. I just didn't have any peace. And, and I'll tell you, there, there was a day that circumstances changed. And it wasn't really anything amazing. It was something that I knew and I heard. I knew Jesus was the Prince of Peace. I knew all these passages I'm telling you today. My peace I leave to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. In me you'll have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I knew all that, but I didn't have peace. And, and one day I was going through some documents and I stumbled through my uncle's journal. My uncle had died five years before my aunt and I just picked up his journal and in the back of his journal, there was an envelope with a letter written to me. He'd been dead for five years. I hadn't seen the letter. And so I opened it up. And it wasn't really anything that was left unsaid because my uncle didn't leave any of those things unsaid. But it's just reminding me of some truth. Really kind letter. And it, at the end, it just said this. It said, remember, no matter what you're going through, the Lord is with you and he'll always be with you. Man, just in that moment, real simple words that I already knew. The Spirit of God did something and all of a sudden there was peace. There was peace. The circumstances didn't change that were causing me not to have peace in that moment, but in the midst of those circumstances there was peace. Some of you are going through some of the best times you've ever been through in life and some of you are walking through the hardest season you've ever known. And, and there is peace. There's peace because Emmanuel, God with us, has become God in us through his Holy Spirit. That's why Paul could say, we have this treasure of Christ in jars of clay, us, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus, this new, beautiful, peaceful, resurrected life would be manifested in our bodies. There can be peace in tribulation. Well, well, how is that expressed in our lives? How does the peace of God go out to the world through the people that he purchased? Well, number one, peace is an expression of hope. Peace is an expression of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died to take the punishment for our sins. We were the enemies of God. Now we're the friends of God. We're the children of God. We call him father and friend. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we now stand. 
and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So as God's people, being a people of peace, having peace with those who don't think like us, peace with those we are not able to control, peace with those who may have enmity toward us, as far as it depends on us, having peace with them. We can do it because we're a people of hope, because we have peace with God. We've been forgiven so we can forgive. It's an expression of hope. It's not just an expression of hope, it's an expression of love. When we walk in peace toward others, when we seek to make peace with others, we express the love of God as we do that, as we express his forgiveness, as we express his kindness, as we express his care. I was talking with a buddy of mine, Sam Jr., about this text this week, and he was talking about the different ways that people fail at peace, and he, uh, he shared with me a quote from Will Rogers, and some of us approach peace this way. Will Rogers said, diplomacy is the art of saying nice doggy until you find a big enough rock. Some of us approach peace like that, and man, we pick up some big rocks to throw. But the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. We have peace with God so we can have peace with others. And then peace finds wisdom from God, even in a broken world. Listen to James chapter three as James speaks of wisdom that's from above. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. How do you navigate the brokenness of the world? How do you love people in the midst of this world? How do you express the grace and truth of Jesus in the midst of this world? Well, wisdom from God is pure, but then it's peaceable. It's gentle. It listens to people who disagree with it to find, oh, maybe they're actually right about something. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. And then it says a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So making peace is sowing a seed. It's planting a seed when you make peace that that harvests righteousness. It brings about what God desires. And I, when I think about this culturally, I think one of the ways there's an absence of peace occurring right now in our culture is that, the, that one group sets the sins of another group over and against theirs. It, it happens in the church too. There's this urge. We, we set the sins of parents and the sins of children against one another, Right? We got boomers making fun of Gen Z, Gen Z making fun of boomers, and millennials sitting in the middle laughing at both of them, right? We set the sins of parents against the sins of children. We have these generational divisions. We set the sins of one class against the sins of another class. Well, look at what those people do. Look at what those people do, right? And there's no peace. 
We even set the sins of men and women against one another and compare which are worse. Whoever we are, we want to make ourselves the protagonist and them the antagonist. But the problem is we are all the antagonists. Enemies of God who've been made friends through the blood of Christ. So the idea that these things are pleasing to God, this division, this comparison, it's a fallen idea. It is less than biblical. Its origin is Hades. And it continues to divide those whom Christ would unite It robs us of the peace that Jesus came to bring, but it also keeps us from being the embodiment of peace in a world where the Prince of Peace needs to be seen. So how do we walk in hope as a people of peace? How do we walk in love as a people of peace? How do we walk in wisdom as a people of peace? Well, I think we wait just like these Shepherds and the generations before them were waiting for Jesus to come the first time we wait because peace on earth will come fully and finally when Jesus comes to bring his people back home. So Advent hope walks in hope because the king who came is going to come again. And Advent peace walks in peace because the king who came is going to come again. And over the next two weeks, we'll see the Advent joy and Advent love walk as they do because there's peace on earth and goodwill toward men because the Prince of Peace has come and he will come again. So could I just ask you, if you would, just to bow your heads for a moment and consider three things. And the first is, do you have peace with God? Do you know the full and free forgiveness that's offered in Jesus Christ? To all who would open him, do you know that Jesus who came as a baby, lived as a man, tempted as you and I are, but he lived without sin and he died on a cross to take our sins away? and arise from the dead to give us new life, to give us peace with God so that we could call him father and friend. Do you know that peace? If you don't know that peace, you can ask for it right now in this moment. He's the prince of peace. Second, is there peace in your heart? Do you have peace with others? Are there people you need to make peace with? The relationship's broken. At home, at work, in your neighborhood, across state lines, family members, old friends. Do you have peace? And then some of you, maybe you're walking in the hardest and darkest day you've ever walked in. Life is at a place you never could have imagined it. Do you know that even in this trouble, in the world, you will have trouble? In Jesus Christ, there's peace. Would you take a few moments, just spend with the Lord.
God, thank you that a child was born and a son was given and the government were on his shoulders. And his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He's a Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. And he's going to establish his kingdom that will endure forevermore. Father, we thank you for this baby who came, and we thank you that he is the king who will come again. So would you help us to walk in peace? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.